Hey there, I'm Tiffany Youngren, owner of OMH Agency, and welcome to Breakaway Agent. In a world full of real estate pros struggling to get ahead, there are a few who emerge and become wildly successful. If you are or are working to become one of these breakaway agents, then this show is for you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you even just get one thing out of this episode that helps your business grow, that's a huge win. And hopefully you'll get a few nuggets to help you move forward. Today, I'm really excited to welcome Mara Flash Bloom, Senior Global Real Estate Advisor of Sotheby's International Realty in New York City. She's been ranked among Sotheby's International Realty's top producers, both in its downtown office and in the top 25 brokers nationally since rankings began in 2009. She also consistently ranks on the Wall Street Journal and America's Best Real Trends for being among the top 250 agents nationally by closed sales volume. Mara is an accomplished broker with over 25 years of experience selling luxury real estate. Mara, that was a mouthful. You've just done amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's a mouthful for you, Tiffany. I've worked for that mouthful. Hey, it is totally worth saying it because that is awesome. You've really... Thank you. Thank no, you. and I'm delighted to be here with you. Awesome. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, how about if you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, I, a little bit about myself. I fell into the real estate business. It wasn't something that I went to college and I came out of college and I said, I'm going to be a real estate broker. That's what I want to do with my life. It is something that emerged at a certain moment in my life that I had an epiphany and I found out that I was good at it. So I went to school as an actress. I studied at Boston University School for the Arts. There was no doubt in my mind I was going to be on Broadway. But then I hit that 30-year-old moment in my life, and I wanted children, and the lifestyle just didn't fit in with having a family. For, like, I couldn't fit in that career as an actress with family life. My husband and I, we purchased a co-op not far from my office, where I am right now, and that's kind of how we got into real estate. The day we bought the property... This big, big broker in New York was supposed to close on a lease for a store downstairs that was going to bring income into the building. And that day did not happen. The closing did not happen. And it got really scary because it was a very long time ago. And it was very hard to rent these properties. So what happened was I, you know, just give a woman a mission and she's going to find out how to get it done. So that's how I fell into the real estate business. I took the bull by the horn and I said, I'm going to get this commercial space rented, whatever it takes. And when I went to hire the real estate broker who I thought would be the one to get the deal done and close it up, she said, why don't you come work for me? And so that's how my career started. I started in commercial real estate and in a very difficult time in the New York City real estate market. So the best experience you can have as a real estate broker, which is in today's world, to relate it to where we are now in time, is to start, you know, if you can get it done in a down market, you can get it done. So that was my first experience and what happened was I realized that commercial real estate wasn't where my passion was in real estate. There was somebody in my building who could not sell their apartment. They blew through like two brokers and 
they couldn't get it done and the market just kept correcting down. And they knew that I was successful in leasing the property downstairs and they gave me a shot at it. And I outperformed their expectations, raised the price. I don't know how I did it, Tiffany. Ah, I raised the price and I found the right buyer and I closed it up. And that started my career in residential real estate in a very, very small company where people were circling ads in the New York Times. So it was a very different time that we are now in starting a career with the web, with social media, with there's so much being thrown at a broker that they need to do. All I needed to do was like put an ad in the paper, call people on the phone and get them to see the listing. Now you do the same thing, but the expectations are that there's so much to do when listing a property. I would love to give some advice to your viewers there. You have to be authentic and you have to pick those tasks that you're most passionate with when you take the listing. So if social media isn't something you're comfortable with, then maybe that's not the direction you want to go when you're first starting out. You know, if you're more of a people person, a talking person, then it's all about your connections. It's all about real relationships. And if you can't get a real relationship via social media, you won't be able to pick up those buyers from Facebook. You won't be able to, you know, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram. Yes, you should do all of those things, but you shouldn't spend your whole day doing it because if you're in the office, you're not selling property. You know, and if you're not making personal connections, whether it's on a phone or at a lunch meeting or on the field, I think it's very difficult to get your career going long term. You know, it just takes one beginning, right? I started with one listing. That's all you need to focus on is start getting one property, somebody to give you one property to sell. Yeah. Then that builds momentum, which is just magic. I like magic. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said too about social media. I like to say that social media and all this online contact should really be an enhancement of your real life relationships, not a replacement for them. Right. Exactly. Because you have to create a real mailing list of people who know you, who know your integrity, know your honesty. You know, the other thing that you must do when you start off we're talking to beginning brokers and breakaway agents, people that don't have a book of business. Some are and some are, you know, just want to level up. But I think it's appropriate to speak to beginners. Yeah. So if you're beginning in this real estate world, I would suggest the best thing to do is to get that one listing. And once you're in that one listing, you will make connections from there, especially if you can get a successful sale. Then from that successful sale, then you have to build on that. You sold one house in a neighborhood. You should be able to sell three houses in the neighborhood. I sell one house in one building. And like we think of neighborhoods like buildings. So I sold one apartment in one building. It generated five sales. It generated two more successful sales within that building. And those people then went on and bought something else. And then all of a sudden you've got five, six deals. But my focus is on the people. My focus is on helping people move on with their lives. I mean, that is actually in my bio, that that transitioning from one apartment that you're emotionally connected into another apartment and being there at that time in these people's lives 
is really important moment for them. This is moving is tantamount to it's distress. I mean, it is the most stressful time in most people's lives. I think they say that and divorce really <laughs> stressful. So for you, your job is to take the stress off your client, whether it's your client or your customer, make it fun, make it joyous, no matter what their motivation is for selling. You know, everybody has different motivations. They're moving from one phase of their lives to another. They're moving from having one child and the house is too small or the apartment is too small and they have to go to the next home. You're there during that time. You want to maximize their value so that they can purchase something else. I mean, it's a big job and you have to take it really seriously. It's an important job and it's not really about money. You know, the money is the outcome of it, but you cannot think that way. You have to be a kind of person that wants to be in that moment in people's lives. If you're doing residential real estate, if you're doing residential real estate, I should say with non-investors, you know, if you're doing investment, then it's a different skill set. But if we go in the direction of residential real estate, where you're dealing with people in moments in their lives, that's how I built my career. Of course, I've done other types of real estate transactions that involve investments, but the majority of it is real people with real reasons in their life to move on. That's awesome. You know, I totally agree. Not only is the move difficult, but or move a big change and something that they're dealing with and processing, but also the underlying reason that they're moving is also a part of it. So I think that's so true to really address all of that. And also, I believe that everyone has strengths. So as a high achiever like yourself, it really speaks to the fact that you lean into those, what I like to call superpowers. I had asked you some questions ahead of time and you identified one of your strengths as having a reputation of being an honest broker. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? I mean, a lot of agents say that, you know, like, oh, I'm honest, but can you just speak to how that's worked in your business and in your life? Yeah, I think a lot of brokers are afraid to tell their customers or their clients the truth, the truth about the price, the truth about why they maybe shouldn't buy this property. Like if you know that this property is next to a sewage site, but they fall in love with the property and you neglect to tell them that it's next to a sewage site, and you knew that, that you're not really representing them because you're more concerned about just getting the deal done. You know, you kind of got them there. You know that, you know, they walked in and they have to have it. So, you know, you're just trying to make that deal happen and you're not showing them that the deal could still happen. Just FYI. But you need to tell them that there's a sewage plant next door. And if they know that and they still buy the apartment, that's your reputation. Mm -hmm. And it's happened to me, you know, time and time again, that then they'll come back to you because they realize that you were honest about it. Like in New York, there's all sorts of zoning issues. So like I'll say to a potential purchaser that I'm representing that we should get the apartment inspected. In New York, it's not common to have something inspected before you purchase it or to have a zoning analysis if you really don't know that there could be a big building being built like three blocks up that could completely block the Empire State Building view and you're representing that buyer, your job is based on 
being honest with them and what they need to do to make sure that they have all the information they need to make an executive decision. So I think that that is part of the honesty that I convey with my buyers and my sellers. Tell them the real price and make sure you know your facts around what they're purchasing. That's great. That's great advice. You know, another thing that you mentioned, another strength is your tenacity, which I feel like just, you know, permeates (laughs) the air. (laughs) I just love it. What are some habits that you can recommend to other agents who want to get stronger in that area? So define tenacity for me. Just define what you mean in relationship to the real estate industry. Like, what do you want me to highlight about the tenacity that it's like a personality trait, right? Where you well, just you can't know, like... You said it was your superpower. So now is it something that can be practiced or is it something that like you got it or you don't? You know, I'm not sure. Like, I can't give up. Like, I won't give up. Is that something that's innate or is that something that you can learn? I'm not sure. Uh, I think you can learn I, it personally. You have to really work hard at it. You know, it's like... Okay, so I'll give you this advice. You have to wake up every morning and you have to fluff off everything that is negative about why you can't sell this property. You have to make a list of everything positive about this property. And even though you've been at it for four months and you've been working at it every day, that next showing, that next potential showing could be the buyer. And if you walk in there like Debbie Downer and not go in there with a sense of, I can do this, I have the muscle to do this, then you can't be in this business or a deal falls through and then you have to start all over again. It's that persistence, I guess, tenacity plus persistence. But on the flip side of it, if you're marketing this thing and you can't have tenacity without reality. So if you're spending all your time working on a property that is priced incorrectly, then you're wasting your time. Like Mm -hmm. if it's so overpriced and it's not within market reach, then you have to really consider where you are spending your time and what clients you should be tenacious with that you know will buy in the long term and what clients you should break up with that maybe this isn't worth your time. I mean, that's a really big, like I didn't learn that lesson for a very long time. Like I just didn't take a listing recently because I just felt Like all I have is my day and how I manage my day and where I spend my time and who I want in my life is important to me. And you want sellers and buyers that match your personality and that will respect you and not scream at you. And because there's always somebody else, you only have so much time in the day. So, you know, yes, in the beginning, you may work with some people that are challenging, but at some point in your career, especially if we're now we're speaking to the agents who are at the beginning, you take whatever you can. But when you get to a certain point and you want to grow your business, you really have to think about who you're spending your day with and where that business is taking you, because that's your referral business. So now let's say I purchased a home with me. And we got along great and we had a great experience and we're a little sad because we're not going to be together anymore. You're the person, Tiffany, that I would call, 
up two months later and say, are you happy in your home? How's it going? How's the renovation? Did you paint, you know, such and such a color in the bathroom? Do you like it? Is it happy? You know, whatever. I would keep that relationship going so that you would say to maybe your best friend, you know, I've got the best real estate broker in New York City. You have to use her. I'm telling you, you're going to have the best time and she's going to do an incredible job for you. I mean, that's how you build your reputation is one customer or client, seller or buyer at a time. That's how it compounds itself. That's for the middle agent. When you go up to really get to the be the power broker, the major thing you can do is you want to take that next step to being a power broker, like in the top 250 in the country. It's sharing. It's knowing when to bring in a partner. It's knowing when to let an assistant do something. You cannot service a listing by your more than five lists. I believe if you have five listings and you want to get that six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven listings, it's very hard to service that on your own. So you have to think of a different business plan. You have to keep changing your plan as you grow. That's a lot of good stuff. And I love that, you know, you kind of spoke on two things. One was that tenacity and that energy and the getting rid of the bad and focusing on get over the disappointment and the failure and just move forward. And then I love that idea of knowing who you work with. I always feel like too, when you have those clients that take so much from you and kind of are on a different pace and a different attitude, it really takes away from your best clients, you know? So it's taking time, effort, momentum from the other people who are better to work with, for lack of better words. Right. And what, and positivity. I'll never forget a really great client who became a very good friend of mine. She was going through a very horrible time in her life. And it was a very difficult apartment to sell. And there was bad energy in the apartment. Like you could feel the energy. And every time she got that place ready for me to show with fresh flowers. And every time I walked in there, she said, Mara, you can do it. I know you can sell it. It was just like, because it was just so much showing after showing after showing. And you know what? I found the perfect buyer. Like I got her an incredible number for the property. It's I wanted to do it. I wanted to please her. It's just the human nature. You know, you want to please somebody who's really good to you because they're so good to you. You want to be good to them. And I, you kind of get back what you give out. And I've always, when I think about that moment, that particular sale, I actually take it in and I take it with me when I'm selling something else. Like I'll hear her little voice in my ear saying, Mara, you know, she believed in you. She believed in you in this very tough sale. You just Aww. need to believe in yourself that you can do this. Well, it's like it's, that, the net betting, you know, you see that movie, American Beauty, and net betting where she's like, I'm going to sell this today. I'm going to sell this today. You know, it's like that. <laughs> well, it, you know, and it really speaks to the idea and the value of I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard, you know, build relationships with your clients, but I feel like you've really touched on something that it really speaks to a friendship. Well, I operate like that too. You know, I decided a long time ago, I get to take things personally because I do. And that comes with the good and it comes with the bad. But, you know, when you work with someone that you see as a friend, it matters. I mean, if your friend was going through something hard, 
you know, you want to sell it for them. You want to do a good job. And, you know, after the transaction, you want to know how it goes. So it just makes it a more natural way of doing business when you actually have those feelings through the process. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that you should make all your clients your friends. You know, (laughs) sometimes the client is going to become your friend. And some, again, you have to be authentic. There are people that want to separate work with friendship, but there will be people along the way that you'll just connect with. As you say, you're there in that very precious moment in their life. I've been there when their parent has died and they have to sell their parents. It's happening now where they have to sell their parents' apartment. And even though the mother, it's been a long time coming, you're still selling your mother's apartment. It's still not easy. Even if you've come to terms with it, you still have to be there for these clients. And when you're there in that moment, sometimes that relationship will linger over the years. But that tenacity that you were talking about, that is really probably what I was saying in the questionnaire is that I won't let go of the relationship. Mm. And that's what you need to do as a real estate broker, because you don't know where your business is coming from. Like I took a long ride with a group of young people who bought and sold with me over the years, but then they finally land in their permanent home and they're not selling anymore and they don't have the same referral basis. You know, their referral network, I mean, your referrals are the most important thing. If Tiffany, if you have a bad experience with me, you're not going to refer to anybody to me. But if you have a good experience, if I hit you maybe four or five times a year, let's say you're not my friend, but you know, you're my client. And I just check in with you four or five. It rises you to the top. Oh, you know, Mara just called me. You know what? Beth so-and-so is selling her house. I'll give her a call and tell her. No, I used to, when I first started off, there was one client I'd call and say, oh God, Joan, I'm just not busy. I'm not busy. Do you know anyone who's looking (laughs) to buy or sell an apartment? And you know what? It works. You know, like call everyone, you know, call your mother-in-law, whoever it is. You just got to pick up the phone and you have to ask for the business. You do. When you're first starting off. My husband and I were in real estate over 15 years. I always say like, I do this to live vicariously through other agents. And I've talked to countless agents over the years. And I have never heard someone be so like, usually there's a sense of you need to have this show of how successful you are. So the idea of just calling someone going, dude, seriously, I am slow. (laughs) Call some people. I love it. I think that's great. Even when I'm successful, I'm fear-based. I don't have the same kind of fears, but even if I dial back, you know, you've got two kids going to college, you got a lot to do, you've got expenses and you want to keep busy. Like there's always, this is one thing I really want to discuss. There's always something to do in the real estate industry. Even if you are slow, you market. Even if you are slow, you have to come up with other ways to promote yourself. As I said, I would tell young agents, I want you to pick five people, five people you've sold apartments to or five people that you know and call them up and check in with them. And if you can work in the conversation, just what I said, I'm really not busy right now. If you know anybody who's buying or selling, I'd really appreciate the business. People so you, respond to that. Yeah, I bet. Well, and I think about how I would respond. I would be like, yeah, thinking, who can I refer right now? So it makes total sense. So do you mentor other agents? I do. I'm at a stage now where I'm partnering a lot. 
I love mentoring. I do like it. I think I'm at a stage now where I feel you learn so much when you partner. And there's so many agents out there, they make the huge mistake of saying, I have an opportunity to do this listing. This is my seventh listing. I'm already overwhelmed with the six other listings I have that each one of them is driving me crazy and they're not selling. Now we're in a market where it could take four or five or six months to sell something. It doesn't fly off the shelf. Like my original business plan when I first started was to get five listings, put them in contract, get another five listings, put them in contract, get another five listings and put them in contract within 90 days. Well, we're not in 90 days. So now you've got 20 listings. They're not selling. You can't sell them on your own. You can't be at 20 open houses in one weekend when you get to be like up there in the brokerage. So how do you do it? Yeah, you can hire assistants or you can share it with some of the top producers. You can go in and partner with someone. You could go pitch something. You have an opportunity to pitch something. You read the profile of the customer or the client, the seller. You read the profile and you think, you know what? It would be good if I picked a partner that has such and such a skill. Because mm-hmm. I think they're going to relate. I'm an actress, right? I know where my strengths are. But if I have a partner that used to be at Goldman Sachs as Mr. Analytic, even if I am analytic, it doesn't matter. They don't think that I am analytic. You know, they would much rather have somebody who has that background in their bio. So then you team up, you go meet a stranger, it's two of you, and you have a great pitch. Now, if I went in there on my own and I don't get it, then I've got zero. But if I go and I pick a partner because I think that the partner would relate to this particular seller, I got 50%. And then you know what ends up happening? That partner, then they feel guilty. I have a listing. Do you want to come pitch this? And before you know it, you are in a partnership and then you sell that property and then somebody comes to the property that wants to work with you, then you and your partner work with that. And then it goes to another, you know, and it just compounds itself. That's how you build business in real estate. It compounds itself. Now I have two people, you know, spinning in their respective referral networks and a third person that's in her prospective referral network. And we're all, you know, we're all partnering and we're growing our business. So instead of having five, six, seven listings, you know, you realize that you can move 20, 25 listings. It makes your bottom line go up. It doesn't make your bottom line go down when you share something. And I think that's where a lot of people make mistakes. I don't know what your experience has been, but do you see that a lot of people just don't want to partner with other people? They feel they're going to steal my client. I haven't heard anyone speak out against it, but I have not heard this brought up like this. I think that that's a fantastic strategy. And, you know, I see younger agents do it a lot when they want to have experience because they're lacking experience. So they'll bring on an agent with more experience. But I think as and that's smart is phenomenal. <laughs> My daughter is an agent in LA. You know, she's kind of doing the what you talked about, like take everybody, <laughs> you know, like, does anyone have any friends? Because I'm trying to, you know, pay rent. And she's really good too. And she grew up like she's fourth generation real estate in our family. So, but she knows she's like, no, I need to find someone with more experience so that I can go on this, you know, listing appointment. So she sees the value in doing that. But I think what you're speaking to as far as the strategy, even as an experienced agent, what a great business building plan. 
I love it. And sometimes you're not right for every listing. So aren't you better off referring it to some agent that you think is the right personality and taking that referral fee and giving that business to someone else? Yeah. I, you know, of course, listen, there is an asterisk here. You have to be very careful who you partner with. So you will learn that there are people who share and share back and people that are takers. But that's in life. There are givers and there are takers. And if you're a giver and you align yourself with another giver, then your business will grow. But if you're a giver and you align yourself with a taker, you need to revisit that strategy, especially with an agent that has a book of business and they have another junior associate working with them. And the junior associate really isn't bringing any business to the table. They're just working your business. That's what I'm talking about. You're not growing the business. You're getting a junior person to work your business because that junior person is not going to take your client list or if you don't feel like that junior person is going to impede on your client list. But if you brought a senior person and you partnered with a senior person and you just have to be clear on the roles that you have when you partner with a senior because they have a book of business already. So you're more likely to get part of that book of business if you partner with them. Am I making any sense? Yeah, yeah, whatsoever? no. You no, know, you don't make any sense. <laughs> I feel like I'm not making any sense. No, no, I think I followed. I think just the idea of, you know, the younger brokers, they're not as likely to maybe poach. <laughs> but, you know, just... No, but it, no it, that's not the point. The point okay. really is forget if they're young or they're old. You okay. have to look at your partner. The partnership has to be equal. Like whether, you know, you bring in a junior partner, that junior partner, listen, if I was brought in as a junior partner like 20 years ago, you know, I would have generated business for the senior partner because that's who I am. That's part of that tenacity we're talking about. You know, if you're working with someone, whether whatever moment there are in their career and they're just not capable of picking up a buyer, locating a seller, they're not, they're just servicing your business you're paying them a salary. They're like a salary employee and they're taking away from your income. They're not growing your business. They're just taking income. You have to be aware of it. And if you're okay with it, that's fine. If that's part of your business plan, that's fine. You know what their role is. But sometimes I think people get stuck with expectations that so-and-so is actually going to rise to the occasion and then they don't. You need to know when to cut your losses with that and move on to a different partner. That's good advice. And I think that's good advice. I mean, you run into that with business and with anything, but especially with listings, especially when you're using that as a tool to grow your business, I think it's good to keep that in mind and be clear and communicate well upfront about expectations and understand what each party's getting out of the relationship. And work ethic. Like I find if you partner with someone with the same work ethic, you're fine. If you partner with somebody who basically wants to sit home and collect the check while you do all the work, I mean, there's that story all the time. You know, when you bring somebody in, you do all the work and then you pay them an income. Like you (laughs) you have to be aware of that. And that's where I think a lot of agents trip up Mm. and they get embroiled with the wrong partner or the wrong junior associate or the wrong assistant. You have to be so clear what your expectations are of the people that you work with. Right. 
switching gears a little bit, I like that you're so committed to growth, even as a high-performing agent. What are a couple things that you struggle with today when it comes to growing sales? How to reach that next person, that stranger that I don't know, that I want to be able to get in there and pitch, but I don't always have the opportunity. And I wonder, why didn't they call me? I've done six sales in the building. Why didn't they know about me? You know, I'd say to myself, well, you know what? I didn't have the time to market to that building. So you have to constantly look at your business plan and see how to strategically figure out what marketing is working. Because marketing and advertising, how do you know, right? You can send out 500 postcards and not get one call. Maybe postcards don't work anymore in today's world. Maybe social media will stop working. Like people in the financial industry, they can't be on Facebook. They're not on Facebook. They're on LinkedIn. You know, do I do some more social media stuff on LinkedIn? Do I look at my Instagram and see if that needs some beefing up? Is that a better way to connect? But that's all for existing clients. I'm looking like, where do I find the non-existing clients? It's a complete stranger. They've never heard of me. And I get a shot at pitching the business. So the only example I could give you is, which for an agent, I think would be helpful. Look at your bio online. Look at how you're presenting yourself to the world, your photographs, your bio. It's not just about your listings. I had got the opportunity to pitch a listing that I really liked. They internet searched and they found me on the internet and they read my bio and They looked at my listings and they saw that I was in that neighborhood, complete stranger. And I got a shot to walk in there and pitch the business and got it. That was like three or four years ago. I have not had that happen since then. So I might have to go back and look at like, what is resonating now in today's world where there's so much coming at people from, you know, politics to wellness to, you know, there's so many things that is going on in people's lives when they go to search for a real estate broker and they don't have that much time in their lives between work and play, where do they find that person? Who do they call? I don't have the answer to that, but that's kind of what I'm trying to farm for, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's, yeah, that's kind of my homework for myself that I'm trying (laughs) to figure out now in my career, how to grow that. The never ending things. I always say there are always these things that always work and then it's always adjusting the delivery or the approach. And <laughs> so. Right. I mean, we would go to these things for Sotheby's International Realty and one broker would say, well, I send recipe books every Thanksgiving. You know, I send my favorite recipe every Easter. I mean, that doesn't work in New York, or maybe it does. I mean, maybe we go back to something like as personal as that and send it out. But again, you have to be authentic and what you have time to do. I don't have time to do that. I don't have time to think like that because I am busy generating my listings. I think my goal has always been is if you get one really good listing from that listing, you want to get one or two more. You want to get one or two more either in the building or in the neighborhood. And that, I hope, continues to be revenue-producing for people. That's the other thing I do during the day. I look at my day and I say, what's revenue-producing and what's not? If you're sitting in the office, you're not revenue-producing. You're not showing. That means you're not showing anything. You're not selling anything. If you're sitting in the office, 
then you have to make that as productive as possible. So what is your to-do list for the day? And accomplish it. Write the to-do list down and accomplish it. Whether it's just spending an hour farming for a particular neighborhood, getting, you know, all the addresses and stuff like that, and then just figure out what it is you're going to mail, printing it out and getting it done. You know, if you have the time, you do it all in one day. If you don't, you get the addresses one day, you write the letter the next day, you print it out, you get it in the mailbox, but you've got to give, and then you write down when you did it mm-hmm. and you write down whether it, something came from it. So you really can keep a very organized log of where your business is coming from and how you're going to grow it. So you can look at it like pretty soon I am going to think about 2020, like what my business plan is for 2020. I've already thought about it and I'm actually going in. I'm going to meet with my manager because it's always good to bounce your ideas off of a mentor for you and get some ideas from them or even somebody that you work with that you trust and say, listen, I'd like to discuss how to grow my business in the next year. Can I take you to lunch and get some ideas? A lot of brokers like me would be happy sometimes to help out. Mm -hmm. You just never know because that young broker could all of a sudden say, you were so helpful to me. I've got this opportunity to pitch this $20 million listing. Can I bring you in? And then you go, yes, it was worth that lunch, right? Those are some really helpful, kind of useful, functional things to do to really keep people on track. So we just have a couple more minutes. I'm going to ask you what I call rapid fire tool chest. I'm going to say something and then you briefly tell me your favorite or one of your favorites or your favorite right in this moment, tool, person, or any other response that's appropriate for what I'm about to say. And if you come up to one and you either don't have an answer or it's some kind of secret or something, you can say pass. Sound good? Family feud. I'm going to go, oh my God. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Are you ready? I'm going to try, Tiffany. Okay. You're going to do great. You're going to do great. Okay. So first one, time blocking. Do you do it? And if so, what do you use? I don't use anything to time block, but I do time out my day. I keep a very strong calendar and my day really gets formed by the appointments and then I block around the appointments. Time blocking in terms of like in the morning, like a block of time to go to the gym. Exactly. Is that what, what you're talking about? Said. Yeah, where you have like, I have my appointments. So do you have a Google calendar? Do you have like a day timer? That uh, you- I have an Outlook calendar and the calendar tasks are put in by my assistant. The minute I get an appointment, it goes in the calendar. So it blocks out that time. So I don't double book. Perfect. Best CRM. Well, they're, the tools that we have at Sotheby's are really the best CRM. They do it for us. The best CRM is to go out and look at properties <laughs> and see what's really physically out there because you can't rely on the CRMs anymore. It's not a stagnant market like it used to be. Real estate, you could kind of predict what numbers are going to be selling for, but it's become unpredictable. So it's almost like throwing darts at a dartboard. And now in New York, what's happening is they're finding, you know, they're having pricing committees because nobody knows what the real price is until you get it on the market. Because you're only as good as last year. If you're using a comp for last year or two years ago, it's not today. It's not what's happening today. It's like the stock market. One minute we're up, the next minute we're down. It feels like that now. It's a moving target. So you have to do the best you can. You use the tools of the last three months and the active listings, you've got to get out there. You've got to get knowledgeable. 
of what's selling and at what price. And do you have a tool that you use for your sales pipeline management? So from lead to sale? No. What I do is I keep a list of everything that I sold. I know how many listings I want to get in contract a month. So I'm very aware of what's in the pipeline. So I keep my active listings like down below in my Excel sheet. Like, for example, one's coming on, it's $9,250,000. I have one now that just closed at $3 million. Then I have something else that's coming on at one seven nine five. So I see, okay, I've got about $60 million worth of real estate to sell right now. So, okay, that's in the pipeline. Now, right. some of that $60 million might end up being like $40 million after you have all the price reductions right. you have to do to get it done. But I started there. And as the price reductions come, I will adjust it accordingly. And then the ones that end up going to contract, I move it up to the in-contract part. And then I keep a list of what it closed and I see my GCI. So I'm very aware of where I stand every single month and what it, hearing, my expectations are. I'm hearing Excel. <laughs> like that's what you use for yourselves. It sounds like Excel is where you keep the... That's where I keep everything, Excel. So how about transaction management? like somebody managing my transactions for me? If that's what you do, yes. Do you have someone manage it or do you have a tool that you use? I do it myself. There is no tool for that. We manage the transactions, me, and my assistant and myself. Okay. And one of your favorite books right now? There's a book that it just came to my mind that I really like. There's two books. One, Eleanor Oliphant is just fine. It's a crazy fictional book about an office worker who comes every day and sits with her. She's very depressed and an alcoholic, you know, and how she befriends a tech guy in the company and her whole life changed. It's a really fun book. Do you think I'm reading books about selling real estate or no. watching shows about selling real estate? I am not. There's another that. book, yeah, called Aging Grace. It's about a nun study. That, uh, that is nonfiction and it talks about these nuns that live to like 100 years old and they donated their brains so that they can maybe solve Alzheimer's. It's really fascinating. So that's, ah. yeah, there's a lot of tools in that book. There's a lot of things that you can learn from the nuns in that book. I tried to read things that appeal to me just to relax. Good, good. That's awesome. Well, I am a huge foodie. This is the last question. I'm a huge foodie and I always ask this at the end of every podcast. What is your favorite dish and where do you get it? God, I really love food. It's really hard for awesome. me to That's tell awesome. like what's my favorite dish. Just at this moment. No, I eat really right now. If I said, Hey, I'm coming to New York, where should I have dinner? And what should I order? There's so much in New York. I actually <laughs> like grilled octopus with hummus in it. Yeah, and I just had it last night with a glass of sangria and a Greek salad. I like Mediterranean food. I think it's kind of healthy and you feel good afterwards. So I would recommend something like that. Really good grilled it. octopus. Yeah, or there's a lot of great restaurants in Brooklyn. I had an incredible swordfish. So I'd like to eat farm to table. Oh, yeah. So the where, short where answer is farm to now I do, you're asking me the name of the restaurant <laughs> and I can't tell you that because oh, my girlfriend so booked it. There's so many restaurants. Um, you know what? Do you like vegetarian food? We're you like foodies. So anything that's interesting and cool and farm to table, we totally love. 
I mean, I like ABCV. ABCV in New York, I think President Obama went there. It's right where I live. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a great restaurant. But there's so many. There's a place called Thai Villa that's not expensive that has just great Thai food. And the wonderful thing about New York is that you can get every kind of food. There's a new Chinese restaurant that just opened up. I have to try in the neighborhood that looks amazing. But, you know, I have to confess, we cook a lot at home. So if I can buy the heirloom tomatoes and the fresh mozzarella from Italy and a fresh basil from my basil plant... And I put that together. I am so happy. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Well, you've been so fun. I have no idea what we talked about, Tiffany, but I hope that it was beneficial to your listeners. It was. It was. You know, I really appreciate you being here. And I really feel like you gave some amazing takeaways. I am still just really thinking a lot about that whole idea of strategically partnering up with people to get more listings, especially in a market where there's a lot of listings that are kind of hanging out a little bit longer, as well as just another really good reminder. I feel like you really drove it home about the idea of get out there and do it and then worry about how you're keeping track of it later, <laughs> you know? I yeah, like you can't, awesome. right, <laughs> right. You can't get hung up on that. Before we go, you have to have fun. You mm-hmm. have to work with people who you trust, trust big, And you have to have fun with them. And that is the most important thing. If you're not having fun in business, you're not going to be successful. It's not the right career for you because this is a toughie. You have to have that determination, that tenacity, that positivity in order to really dive deep into this industry and grow. It's very hard to get up every day and get rejected. So you better love the rest of it. (laughs) You better love the rest of it. You better love selling people's homes and transitioning to new ones. You better love that. Okay. All right. Well, have a again. And thanks to everyone for listening. And remember the best is yet to come.